Please um, join me now in prayer. Loving God, quicken our hearts again that we may receive your word anew. Send the refreshing wind of your spirit upon us. Lord, that your voice may be heard in our hearts and your loving presence seen in all that we say and do. Bless your word to us this day, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A reading from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, beginning with verse 6. When your son asks, asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We are Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore and give to our fathers. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sylvia. The image is forever impressed upon my mind. From October of 2012, it was Hurricane Sandy battering the Mid-Atlantic, and two boys, Connor and Brandon, were ripped from their mother's arms as she struggled to save them. It was on Staten Island. The storm surge had come, and before her very eyes, her two sons were swept away in the flood. It's what a lot of parents fear most as you pour so much of your life into creating a Christian home and raising your children and praying for your children and training your children. And then they get up, get older, and they they go off to college perhaps, and, and you wonder, will they walk away from their faith? Was it all in vain? Will they be swept away in the flood? It's an analogy that Jesus uses when he speaks about building your house, building your family. He says there is a flood coming. The flood cannot be stopped. The flood is coming. It will overwhelm you if you are not prepared. And so he teaches us how to build our household. As parents, or as those who have taken vows at a baptism to assist parents in the Christian nurture of their child, How can we prepare for the flood that is most certainly coming? We're going to look at the gospel according to Matthew, at the very words of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Savior, who spoke these words beginning in verse 24 of Matthew chapter 7. He said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down. The streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine 
and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand and the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Matthew 7 is perhaps one of the most misunderstood passages in the New Testament because throughout the the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been contrasting two things. And we hear Jesus talk about building your house on sand or building your house on rock. And what we hear because of our culture war context and our own uh, kind of religious uh, tendencies is we hear, you know, don't build your house on worldliness and sin. Build your house on God's rules. And that's actually almost the exact opposite of the point Jesus is making. Because throughout the Sermon on the Mount, when he is being contrasting, you know, you have heard it said, but I say to you. He's not saying, you have heard it said by Plato and Socrates, but I say to you. No, he's been saying, you have heard it said from conservative religious pastors speaking out of the Bible, giving you lots of rules. And he says, but I say to you, if the gospel captures your heart and you understand that you are loved children of your heavenly father, then I say to you, it will be very very different. Jesus is not contrasting worldliness with God's rules. He is contrasting the misuse of God's rules as if they can save with the gospel that has the power to do what rules can never accomplish. And so when he's contrasting this, he's saying, if you build your life on rules and biblical principles that are actually true and maybe even go beyond that, The flood's going to come and your kids will not know the Lord. They will be washed away because your house, your family will fall. And so he gives us something different, a foundation on which to build it. Because the rock is Jesus. The rock is the gospel. The rock is the kingdom of God breaking in in saving power to build a new community grounded and founded upon the work of Jesus So what is the Bible's message about parenting? What is Jesus' message about building your house? First of all, he's saying parenting is not about technique. It's about creating and fostering a gospel culture. See, we worry over technique. When do we feed the child? Which diapers do they wear? How long do we let them cry before we pick them up? Is there corn syrup in the waffles? Do we spank or use timeouts? Do we send my kid to a public school to be a witness or to a Christian school to keep them safe or to a private school to get them into grad school someday? Or do we homeschool them? All of these are valid concerns. And I have no opinions about any of these things. I think you are free in Jesus to come to different conclusions as God leads you with your family and your specific children. And you might do it differently with each kid but okay there you have your freedom now use it well (laughs) but here's the problem dan allender with all of our focus on techniques and there are a thousand books out there on technique dan allender points out that of children raised in evangelical churches that is gospel preaching churches that believe the bible 17% of them grow up into adults who go to evangelical churches. 83% have been washed away. There's a flood coming, folks. Even when we talk about raising kids God's way, it can trip us up because, you know, we're idol factories and we forget that 
Salvation is all of grace, and we easily can set ourselves up for a performance treadmill and end up doing exactly what Jesus warned us about uh, by focusing on external performance and behavior modification. Uh, of course, you have to do some of that, but, but, but remember Galatians. Paul says, gosh, you began with the Spirit, trusting you got God's grace. Are you now trying to perf- become perfect through human effort? Uh, you know, techniques, they get outward health. They don't address the issues of the heart. Um, one author, Jeff uh, Van Vondren, talks about, you know, schools discussing, you know, drugs and alcohol abuse. And, and he says this, he says, just because you have somehow gotten your child to stop using drugs and instead they're now playing football or they're in the band does not necessarily mean you have a healthy child. He gives an example of a child named David, a child who's empty and he, 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 he's needy on the inside. He's a people pleaser, prone to seek approval from people around him. And he gets involved with the wrong crowd. And, uh, and, and, and they're telling him, hey, if you do things our way, we're going to accept you. And, and so he gets in with the wrong crowd. He starts doing the drugs and the alcohol and all the wrong things. And his grades are tanking. And he's still empty on the inside. And he looks like he's empty on the outside. You can see it. And it's a religious family. And they try every effort to coerce David to change. They give him threats. We're going to send you to Christian school if you don't shape up. Or or we're going to kick you off the football team. God may punish you. You're not going to get away with this. And let's say David begins to make a turnaround that his family and church long for. And he joins the church youth group. But he's still empty on the inside. He's still looking for love. He's still looking for acceptance. He's still needy. And, 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 And yet David believes then that doing all of these new positive behaviors has the power to meet his needs. And, and these, 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 these things, he's going to make people happy if he does it. And so he pleases the socks off his parents and his grandparents and his teachers are happy and her pastor is so proud of him. And the more performance-oriented all of those people are, the more pleased, you know, David feels uh, his, his positive performance is earning their approval, though they would never think of it that way. And so here's the question. Which David is healthier, the druggy David in the gang or the youth group poster boy David? Is anything really different with David? He is still empty and needy on the inside. He is still looking for acceptance and approval from other people. He's still trying to earn that by performing for people around him. That condition used to be obvious and now that condition is hidden. The former David was unhealthy. The transformed David is unhealthy. And no amount of religious technique, pressure, or control can address the needs on the inside. Only the gospel can address the internal need for approval and acceptance to mean something, to have significance, to be valued and and valid. And for David to know that he's loved unconditionally, should he learn that his best friend Jesus already did everything he needs to be special and valid? Should he learn that he has eternal validation because he's in Christ? And he, to walk around in that unremovable suit of forgiveness, to know that because he's in Jesus, whatever Jesus did is now credited to his account so that David fed the 5,000 and David raised Lazarus from the dead and David always did what pleases the Father. That, that David has the perfect straight-A report card spiritually because Jesus gave him his report card for free. That's the imputation of the righteousness of Christ to sinners. That's justification. That is the gospel. For that to happen, that speaks to internal needs. That speaks to validation and acceptance and approval because he has the approval of Jesus. 
build your house on the rock, on the gospel. You know our kids' biggest fight in their life is the exact same struggle that you have, and it's the exact same struggle that is my biggest fight. And it is the struggle to believe that God actually likes me, that he is pleased with me, that he delights over me in song, to believe that, that I actually do have significance because God has loved me and accepted me, not on the basis of what I've done, but on the basis of what Jesus has done. Build your life on the kingdom. Build your life on grace. Build it on Jesus, the rock, what he has done for you. And Jesus says springs of living water will flow from within you. You know, you can be great in sports, have all sorts of friends, be in a relationship with someone of the opposite sex who is drop-dead gorgeous, uh, arm candy. You can achieve the good grades. You can be the leader in your youth group, and none of that will fix your kids. Uh, we can't fix ourselves. You know, sometimes I feel like parenting strategy today is you keep your kids super, super busy going from one event and one program to another. And in between, you give them lots of screen time so that they never have enough time to sit with their brokenness and see Jesus. What forms a gospel culture in the home? The rock that alone can keep us from being swept away is Jesus. Uh, we're no different from our kids. Parenting is big sinners helping little sinners see Jesus. And, and if a guest were to walk out of your home after staying with your family for a week, what would they say? Would they say, wow, that is a household where there is full disclosure and complete acceptance. It is such a safe place to be broken. They are so into forgiving each other and asking each other's forgiveness. I just see Jesus all over that family. The gospel is in that house. Is that what they'd see? Seeing mommy and daddy being honest about their failings, quick to forgive, not tearing each other down with criticism and biting one-liners, but believing the gospel for themselves and for each other. Affirmation and praise freely given constantly. It's a gospel culture. A child learns to live out the gospel the same way a child learns to speak English if they're raised in an English-speaking home, by immersion, by being immersed in a gospel culture. Um, I remember an 18-year-old woman. She was dating a 40-year-old man, and it was an emotionally and spiritually abusive relationship. Later, she was with a 25-year-old man, or she was a 25-year-old with a 50-year-old man, also abusive. You talk to her. You hear her story. Her dad died when she was little. Her mom had live-in boyfriends who abused her. What was she looking for in all of these relationships? What was she longing for? She was longing for the embrace of a daddy who loved her, a father who cared for her. She was looking for what only the gospel could give. You see, a home that's saturated with the gospel is a home that has unconditional love, affirmation, praise freely given. Nothing has the power to create a confident, secure, compassionate, and strong human being than a home saturated in a gospel culture. So what are some steps? Well, get serious about being in church regularly where the gospel culture is present and fostered and formed. Have your kids in church where gospel culture is formed. Learn to forgive your spouse. Get counseling if you have to get counseling. Do whatever you need to do to, uh, to, to unwire all the legalistic wiring that is in our hearts. And pray for your kids. Hear what Liesl said as a mom begging you to pray for our children. Even the commandments 
Deuteronomy 6, what was read earlier. All of the rules, are they important? Yes! The Bible says, put them on the the doorpost of your house. Write them on your clothing. Constantly talk about God's commandments, God's will, God's instruction. And it says in Deuteronomy 6, and then when your kids say, why do we have to obey all these rules? What do you answer? It says, because the Lord saved us when we were in bondage. Every time your kid asks why, you're supposed to give them the gospel. Creating a gospel culture in our own home. I remember a friend of mine, Nate, many years ago, who, uh, he was poor. He worked for a Christian school as a teacher, and those don't usually pay too well. And uh, had, you know, kids trying to raise and support a family, and and they were trying to sell their house, and they brought in a painter to paint some of it, and the painter didn't really do a good job and didn't really finish the job and then turned around and demanded an extra $100 from them, and they didn't really have the $100. And and they were like, what do we do? And they talked it through with their family, with their kids, and they talked about how we take advantage of God's grace all the time because we don't do what we're supposed to do, and we fail, and, and, and then we demand extra grace and God gives it to us again and again and again. And, and so they decided what they were going to do is let the painter know. They were going to write him a, 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 a note and let him know that, that they were kind of disappointed in some things, but, um, you know, Jesus has forgiven us so much and he keeps blessing us. And so we want to do the same for you. And they wrote him a hundred dollar check that they could barely even cover. That's creating a gospel culture, training your children in living out the gospel by living out the gospel and processing that with your family. Dan Allender says, some of the most blasphemous words out of my mouth toward my children have been, why can't you try harder like so-and-so? How come Travis was invited to be on that team and you weren't? Did you see how well-behaved Jennifer was at the wedding? Um, Remember, a little girl came home from school weeping because a bunch of kids had made fun of her and she was sad and she was scared and she wanted to find a different ride to school and so the parents sat down and talked with her and they acknowledged her feelings and supported her in her sadness and yet they also wanted to bring the gospel into the equation to help her fight that most important battle. Man, these kids sure are acting like you're not special. You know, when they treat you like that, how do you feel? And of course she started bawling all over again. There were hugs and comfort And then dad explained to his little girl, so it sounds to me like Jesus is saying that you're really special and that you're his sister and he loves you and and he was willing to die for you because you meant so much to him. And these kids are saying that you're stupid and ugly and fat. Now, which one are you going to believe? Jesus who died for you and who's the son of God and who rules the nations with a rod of iron or a bunch of kids on a playground? You know, bringing the gospel in, giving her resources that you yourself have been given because it's not about technique. It's about creating a gospel culture. Um, Some of you know what it's like to be in the supermarket when the temper tantrum comes in the middle of the cereal aisle because you're getting generic cereal and they want the one with the pretty box and the character on the front and they're blowing up and then you blow up at them and say some things that you know you're going to regret but they are coming out of your mouth like swords into your child and you know they're hurting you because your child gets quiet and you get home and you realize you overreacted because you were feeling embarrassed. 
friends, don't neglect the beautiful opportunity Jesus gives you after you blow up in response to a temper tantrum. Because Jesus, your Savior, who loves you completely and has covered your back, he is giving you this opportunity to bring the gospel to bear and to create a gospel culture. If you were a perfect parent, you would have no room to actually bring the gospel to bear and train your children in the grace of God. But when you've sinned against your child, oh, that's a beautiful opportunity, friends, to get down on your knees and to say, you know, there were some things that I was addressing that I needed to address, but when I blew up at you and said those things to you, I was really sinning against you. And I was doing it because I was more worried about what other people thought about me as a parent, and I wanted to not look like a bad parent. And that was wrong. And that wasn't believing the gospel for you or for me. Will you forgive me? How many of you had that growing up? And when that repeats every single time you sin against your kid or against your spouse, and it's all out there creating a gospel culture, what they learn is that it's a safe place to be a sinner loved by Jesus. What they learn is that the gospel is for sinners. What they learn is that in this life, it is normal to be damaged and broken and have regrets. And Jesus came specifically to address those so that we could learn to love one another. Full disclosure and complete acceptance within our family lives. Uh, One mom, gosh, when you really see it is when your kids start preaching the gospel to you. That's when you know it's there. One mom, she was on a trip, she needed to confront some old friends about some things that had happened years before and she didn't want to do it, but she knew God had been needling her. You've got to talk to these friends and let them know what, how that made you feel. And so she goes on this trip and, and, and she opens up her suitcase when she gets to the hotel and there on top is a card from her daughter, 10-year-old daughter. It said this, Dear Mom, I love you. I know this is a hard trip for you. I think it's cool that you care about your friends enough to try to talk to them. I know they might make fun of you. Mom, just remember, Jesus is the one who makes you special. I love you, Mom. (laughs) That's a gospel culture. Be absorbed by the grace of Jesus, captivated by him. Let your heart capture his grace. Let him capture you and give your family a picture, not of the perfect parent, but a picture of Jesus that's more beautiful than anything else they will ever know. And then when they go off to college and they live in a dorm and they see a whole bunch of religious kids or non-Christian kids snapping at each other, gossiping about each other, constant conflict, backbiting, hating each other, wanting to, you know, Rip your face open with nails. College culture. Let's face it, you get a whole bunch of people in a dorm and it gets ugly. And they see no forgiveness and no grace. And suddenly the gospel will look more beautiful to them than it has ever seen before because they will for the first time have seen just how ugly humanity is without the grace and love of Jesus. It's not about technique. It's about a gospel culture. And that means believing the gospel for yourself. You know you're going to blow it, but Jesus has your back. I see some of you on the performance treadmill. Um, Four or five years ago, I remember seeing online uh, a game. It was called Bad Mommy Bingo. And it was five columns and five rows. And, you know, it was a question of how far you could get through your day before you had a line all the way across of five. The categories were ordered pizza for dinner, yelled at my kids, used TV as a babysitter, This birthday party was not worthy of Pinterest. I failed to cherish every moment today 
He's still not potty trained. I played on the phone the whole time at the park. We had Happy Meals for lunch. I threw away their artwork. I won't buy them a puppy. My preschooler knows four-letter words. I didn't read to them today. I spent an hour hiding in the bathroom. I see stuff like this, and gosh, what it tells me is the performance treadmill some of you are on, and I want to get you off the performance treadmill. It's okay to order pizza for dinner. You know, all your sins are forgiven today. Martin Luther said, sin boldly and believe boldly in the grace and love of Jesus. You're wearing his righteousness. God is smiling at you, mom. He's pleased with you, dad. New Testament scholar William Hendrickson said it best. He said, remember parents, parenting is not difficult. It is impossible. But you've got the gospel. Ah. You know, the mom who stays up until 1 a.m. sewing the Halloween costume for her newborn. It's amazing. It's beautiful. You're not going to get any criticism from me. But let's be honest. Who are you really sewing the outfit for? Your newborn won't even know. Uh, When I dress my cats up and post. (laughs) You know I was going there. And I post the photos on Facebook. You know, I'm not doing that for my cats. They hate that. I'm doing it because I want to look unique and original like everyone else. My needs are driving it. You know, you know, you think maybe you've made an idol of your kids, but more than likely it's not your kids that are your idol. More than likely it's your idol of being the perfect parent. And you're going to know that you've idolized being the perfect parent and projecting that I am perfect parent. Uh, The reason you're going to know is because you're going to be angry all the time at the one thing that keeps you from being the perfect parent, which is what? Yeah, your children. You're going to be mad at them all the time because they're keeping you from being the perfect parent. You know, the dad who drives his son so hard at Little League, trying to live his dreams through his son, and he pressures the boy to perform, to do better, criticizes him when he drops the ball. You know, that kid is just a cog in the machinery of his dad's own idolatry. His dad's need to save himself by being uh, the perfect athlete parent. Uh, Then you succeed, and you feel smug, and you pat yourself on the back, and you think you're the expert, and everybody backs away from you. Or you fail and it crushes you. Uh, And that's where Jesus comes to you and says, you don't need to be the perfect parent. I was perfect for you. And I'm clothing you in my excellence, perfection, holiness, and righteousness. And that's an unremovable suit. And I want you to learn to wear it because as it sinks in that you really are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, that you really do measure up in the eyes of the Father because Christ has borne the responsibility for your sins and you bear it no more. When that sinks in and you know you are loved, it will begin to free you from your own need to be perfect. It will free you to be open about failures and, and free to, 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 to take risks to do things imperfectly uh, because it's going to free you up to love. Um, and for this, you need the gospel. Um, you know, if your gospel tank is full and you're sitting here thinking, oh, Gosh, Greg's giving us the gospel again. Grace, 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 every week, grace. Give me some law, Greg. I don't need any more grace. If that's you, then you're not using your grace very well. Uh, obviously, there are people that you're bitter at, and you're not, and if, it, you wouldn't be bitter if you were using the gospel. 
in your life to address your bitterness by being reminded of what a wicked sinner you are and how much God loves you and clothes you and delights in you and how even in your wickedness you are worthy before the Father. If you were drinking the gospel up, you would be getting rid of your bitterness and your anger and your critical spirit and there would be people that you would be forgiving and people you'd be having to ask forgiveness for and you can't do that. You can't. When somebody's in a conflict with you and you think they're wrong is the bigger part of it, it is impossible to go to them and ask their forgiveness without mentioning their failings. You can't do it without trusting the gospel. But if you're using all your gospel up, friends, oh, then you're going to be hungry and thirsty for more. Because parenting, it's not about technique. And it's not, it's about the gospel. And that means believing the gospel for yourself. And so I'm giving you a reminder Moms, dads, those of you who have taken vows to support moms and dads as all these little ones who are so precious to us and mean so much to us. And the the reminder I'm giving you is that however precious your children are to you, they are far more precious to your God. I always go back to the passage in Exodus chapter 4 where uh, it says, it always puzzles people, but it's one of my favorite uh, passages because... um, Moses has not circumcised his sons, and God is displeased with Moses, and it says that God went set out to kill Moses. They're like, oh, that's righteousness of Jesus imputed, Greg, thanks. Um, and so Zipporah, his wife, takes a flint knife and takes the sons and circumcises them, and God relents from going after Moses. And Moses comes back and he says to Zipporah, you've become a bridegroom of, or she said, the, the word is, you've become a bridegroom of blood to me. And what that tells me, because that circumcision was God's grace. That circumcision was engrafting into the people of God. That circumcision was belonging to God and having a savior in the Jesus Christ who would come as Messiah of God's people to redeem them. And in neglecting to circumcise his sons, He was denying them the grace of God. And the one who was angry about that was God himself. Because God is going to pursue your your children more fiercely and more intentionally than you ever will. Because he loves your children more than he loves anything else. Far more than you could ever love them. Jesus said, their angels always see the face of my father in heaven. Our churches aren't always doing a great job of anchoring our kids in the gospel, in the rock of Jesus. And if you build your house on the sand of techniques and rules and religious control, friends, the waters are going to rise and the waves are going to come and the wind is going to come and your house will collapse and be washed out to sea. But there is one who can make your household stand. His name is Jesus. The gospel is his power to save. Gospel-saturated kids raised in gospel-saturated homes, fed by gospel-saturated churches. When the wind comes and the waters come, while everybody else is swept away, Jesus, the rock, will stand. Build your life on that platform of his unconditional love, favor, acceptance, and delight in you. That is validation, and you too will stand as children of God who have a heavenly father, deeply loved by a dad who is not an angry ogre shaking a stick at you. He's your dad, and he's wild about you. I read about a 18-year-old kid named Corey Hahn 
He'd been an Orange County high school baseball legend, a former California Mr. Baseball, who led Mater Day to a 2010 championship with his arm. He pitched five perfect innings, his bat, he hit a long home run, and his glove with an over-the-shoulder catch. He was such an energetic and gifted outfielder. He was in Arizona State Sun Devil starting lineup, the opening game of his freshman season in college. But in the first inning of his third game, on the back end of a double steal, he slid head first into second base. And he heard a snap. And as he lay on the ground at second base, the crowd grew hushed. And time slowed down to a crawl. And he realized he could not move because Corey had broken his neck so brutally that he had actually heard it snap. And at 18 years of age, he became a C5 quadriplegic, paralyzed from the chest down with limited use of his arms and little use of his hands. And after his initial hospitalization and rehab, some thought he would transfer to a school closer to home and live with his parents. But he was insistent on returning to college and returning to his baseball team. And so his dad, his father, Dale, quit his job and returned to college with his son to be his full-time caretaker. Together, they journeyed into what seemed like an impassable storm Dale would awaken every morning in a hotel room and drive to the house that Corey shared with his teammates. Dale would spend the next 90 minutes every day preparing Corey for the day, helping his 18-year-old son bathe, feeding him, brushing his son's teeth, dressing him, getting him into his chair, and then driving him to classes and rehab before returning home. All the while Corey was in class, his dad would work out at the campus fitness center trying to maintain the muscles and the balance required for the odd positions from which he would have to lift his 124-pound son. By the time Dale had finally helped Corey back into bed, it was often late and both, both of them were physically and emotionally exhausted. It was inspiring, but it was unsettling. The only thing that was certain was the devotion in their weary eyes as they looked at each other from across the table. Corey Hahn stuck in his chair, Dale Hahn trying with all he had to give his son wings. Fighting alongside Corey for three years without a day off in what onlookers call the ultimate love story has been his father. And although Dale eventually moved out of the hotel into a less expensive on-campus apartment while his son moved into his own apartment, little else has changed. Every morning, Dale is his son's alarm clock, arriving at his apartment about 8 a.m., opening the blinds, turning on you know, ESPN Sports Center, and beginning the preparations for the day. And every night, he still shows up to help his son into bed, even if it's 3 a.m. after a college party. Friends, that is an extraordinary dad. That is what the love of a father looks like. And if you are a Christian, you should know that. Because you have that father. That father who was willing to give up everything in order to gain the one thing he wanted most, which is you. A father who says, build your house on on the love of my son, not on religious techniques. that love that they long for, you have in Jesus who is their Savior and your Savior. A Jesus who says, I completely love you. 
A father who says, you are the apple of my eye. You are my pride and joy. Jesus who says on the cross, it is finished. There is nothing more for you to do. Unleash my gospel in your house and your house will stand through any flood. Head held high, confident and filled with joy. Because you're looking at Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, we do worship and honor and bless you even as we consecrate the elements on this table, Lord, that you would preach good news to us, your people. We give you thanks through Christ our Lord. Amen.